Welcome to Embrace Your Brain with Dr. D. Joy Coulter. These short weekly brain bits give you fresh glimpses into how your mind works and how to develop its natural brilliance. Welcome to the podcast. Today's topic, Brain Layers and Social Conflict, Part 4. In the last podcast, we began our discussion of those traits that arise from our brain's second layer, the one that resembles the primary operating system in mammals. We made note that this second layer contains the roots of our bonding and provides chemical support in the form of oxytocin to help us sustain our very prolonged care of offspring. This second layer leads us to seek long relationships with mates. It's the basis of our willingness to share and even consider extending that caring to members of other species or, in our cases, others outside of our social groups. Finally, we noted that this layer gives us our desire to play. We're even able to engage in competitive play and not react to the opponent as a threat. At this second layer, even win-lose competitions can be treated as a form of play and not collapse into combat. While it's clear that competitive sports operate with a blend of both layers, it wouldn't work if the core layer tried to operate without the benefit of the second layer's ability to understand the difference between combat and play. Now let's consider how these two layers differ in the way they tend to organize as groups. While reptiles have a clear pecking order and a line-rank kind of dominance, mammals tend to organize in rings, with the mother and offspring at the center and related members in the outer rings. In herds, packs, or other mammal groups, it's even common for the females to collectively share the care of the young with other females, while the males protect the females and offspring from any invaders. As the male mammals work out their order of dominance, we again see reptilian responses emerging. While two reptiles will fight to the death to establish the winner, mammals will stop attacking once the outcome is clear. The winning challenger will take the lead, and the failed challenger will show submission. Dogs will lie belly up, exposing their throats and abdomen to the winner. This posture usually causes the winner to stop fighting, and their lives are spared. Horses will submit, too, by grazing at the hind feet of the winner, exposing their faces to being kicked. And this stops the dominant challenge. But if an emotional outburst is what starts the combat among two mammals of the same species, that means the conflict is not arising from the reptilian level at all. It's driven by the emotional mammalian level. In that case, the fighting may not stop until one of them collapses. The weaker one will just keep going, even as their fighting becomes more and more ineffective with lots of flailing and hyperventilating and an inability to see that it's safer to quit. Now consider the dynamics between the predator and prey among mammals. This can be confusing to those who approach confrontations from the reptilian or core layer's operating system. Their layer is trained to seek submission in the opponent, but if the prey operates at the second level or mammalian system, it won't show that response until faced with certain death. A rabbit's response is one example of this. Rabbits will freeze in hopes they aren't seen, but once seen, they will flee as fast as they can. When they're caught, if they can't break loose, they will appear to surrender. Actually, however, their entire system is shutting down in preparation for death. In that way, they'll feel less pain. 
But to activate that state, they must give up all hope of survival first. This is very different from the submission between mammals of the same species who are establishing dominance. Now, consider the predator response at the same second level. It will come out fighting if cornered. If it can't escape and run, it will keep on fighting back until it's subdued, even if it's being outmatched. Talented animal control officers trying to capture a cornered cat or dog, for instance, begin by presenting themselves as very non-threatening. They seem to intuitively understand that the animal can't begin to respond to a voice until they relax. Nevertheless, they talk calmly as they move slowly and bend down so they don't look so large. They resemble mental health workers more than police officers at that moment. Once the animal relaxes a bit, they can gently extend a hand or offer a treat and gradually move toward containing the animal. Containment, once the animal is relaxed, can feel comforting, much like hugs between humans. But if the officer moves in too quickly, any effort for containment is going to trigger a flight response, and the animal will struggle to get away. We should note here that humans who respond from the second brain layer contain very similar response patterns. When feeling threatened, they don't want to feel contained either and will push to escape. Their ears will also lose the ability to track speech because they've adjusted to scanning for danger and they can't do both at the same time. If you're enjoying these podcasts, I think you'll love my book, Original Mind, Uncovering Your Natural Brilliance. It's available on Amazon and at EmbraceYourBrain.com.